Today on the LA Food Podcast, I'm your host, Lucas Servodio, bringing you our foxiest episode to date, and you'll understand how bad that joke is in just a moment, dear listener. Chef Jeremy Fox is with us on the podcast today, best known in Los Angeles for helming the widely acclaimed restaurants Rustic Canyon and Birdie G's. Chef Fox joins us to walk through his illustrious career from his days at David Kinch's Manresa in Los Gatos to earning a Michelin star for a vegetarian restaurant attached to a yoga studio in Napa Valley. He talks about how an impounded car led him to move to Southern California and his very personal inspiration for opening Birdie G's, his Santa Monica restaurant that he describes as the product of an Eastern European Jew who grew up in the Midwest and settled down in California by way of the American South. Now there's a journey. What I really appreciated about my conversation with Chef Fox, however, is how candid and emotionally honest he gets. We hear about the frustrations of struggling to get butts in seats despite receiving the highest accolades in the industry, and the tension between feeling like you need public recognition to succeed when you'd rather be behind the scenes honing your craft and doing what you love. There's a fascinating story about how the Stanley Tucci movie Big Night inspired him to pursue the culinary world as a career and a hilarious anecdote that explains why he'll never, ever, ever serve lamb to a lamb passard. Finally, Chef Fox tells us about the upcoming Eight Nights at Birdie G's, an annual Hanukkah-ish dinner series featuring acclaimed guest chefs from around the country collaborating to produce some truly memorable meals. The dinner series is sold out, but you can still join the waitlist on Resi. So before you listen to the interview, I'd highly recommend heading to the Resi app and switching on that notify button. You won't want to miss it, dear listener. That's probably enough of an intro for today, so without further ado, let's chow down. Joining us today on the LA Food Podcast, he's the award-winning chef and owner of Birdie G's and Michelin-starred Rustic Canyon in Santa Monica. You also might know him from his acclaimed book on vegetables, his many James Beard Award nominations, or from his past lives at Ubuntu in Napa and Manresa in Los Gatos. It's Chef Jeremy Fox. Chef, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing good. Can't complain. Where are you, where are you calling us from today? I'm calling from the lounge at Rustic Canyon Restaurant. Oh, okay. So I understand you're uh, getting ready for another service tonight. Yep. We have, uh, we have a nice dinner service tonight in two and a half hours. And uh, kitchen's in there getting ready. And they'll be meeting out here in the dining room for a little pre-shift action uh, any minute. So it's a little bit like calm before the storm right now? It is, yeah. I don't know. I Hopefully it'll be stormy tonight. A little bit of storm is good. Yeah, totally. You want the right amount of storm. Let me start with uh, asking you something we ask all our guests just to, you know, get it going. And we'd love to know this from people who work in food. But what did you have for lunch today, Chef? I haven't really had lunch. I had um, I had a late breakfast. I, uh, my wife picked up some peanut butter cookies from friends and family. There was this uh, a new Nancy Silverton cookbook called "The Best Cookie I Ever Ate," uh, and it's about other things. But the best cookie she ever ate is the peanut butter cookie from friends and family. So she wanted to see what all the hype was about. She said in her book that that's the best peanut butter cookie she's ever eaten. 
yeah, best uh, the best cookie she's ever eaten, and that that's what kind of I guess sparked writing the book about some other things. But uh, I'm not surprised. Roxana is is amazing. And your take is yes, that is a great cookie. It's a great cookie. I'm not going to say it's the best cookie I've ever had, um, but it's a really good cookie. What cookie keeps you up at night? I'm actually of the belief that a cookie is ruined by by cooking it. Oh, interesting. Oh, so you're a cookie dough kind of guy. I'm a cookie dough guy, and I am I like my ice cream melted. Yeah. So to, to me, the the worst things you could do is is cook a cookie and freeze an ice cream. <laughs> that's a that's a great take, honestly. We are uh, uh, talking about childish foods right now, cookie dough. So a good place to start here is: Were you into food as a kid, chef? I wasn't really into food. I was I was raised on uh, mostly uh, fast food and frozen food. So um, I have, and I'm not complaining about that. I have really fond memories like, you know, TV dinners are really nostalgic for me and I still have kind of a natural love for them, uh, for mm -hmm. frozen food, for fast food. Um, I wish I didn't, but they, uh, just because my, t my metabolism has slowed down as I gotten older, but, um, that is the food that, that really made me enjoy food. Um, and I'm always trying to kind of hit those notes, uh, through what I'm cooking, you know, trying to hit that, the comfort you get from, from something like that. And, and it's not even food. It's like the experience of like sitting down in front of the TV when you're a kid with a, you know, a platter that has Salisbury steak and a brownie in it and, you mm -hmm. know, whatever else is in the painter. I, I still love that. Do you still find yourself gravitating towards any specific frozen meals or fast food restaurants? I don't eat, I don't eat much frozen food. Um, I try not to eat much fast food either. Uh, I think my go-to is, is either McDonald's or Wendy's. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, not a big in and out guy. Hot uh, take. The, fr the fries aren't good. So it's like, uh, the burgers aren't good enough to outweigh the fact that the fries are not good. They're, they're the freshest fries you can get in fast food. They're just not good. Yeah, fresh does not always equals good. It turns out, um, that's interesting. So I, I understand from reading about you that one of the things that got you uh, excited about food was the movie Big Night featuring Stanley Tucci. Is that right? Yes, yes. I uh, I had always been interested in restaurants and thought that maybe I wanted to to have restaurants. Um, and I, I you know by the by this by the time I saw Big Night, I had worked. At Chick Fil A, uh, I had I had been a, a waiter at restaurants. I had been a, a a dishwasher, busser, you know every every position. Um, but I saw that movie, and you know, like two weeks later, I was at an orientation for Johnson and Wales Culinary School, and you know, uh, a month and a half later, I was in Charleston starting school. That's really interesting to me because I, I saw Big Night for the first time recently, actually. I'd read about it. I knew the important sort of role it played uh, in the culinary world. But while I was watching it, I was like, I'm not sure how anybody could watch this and want to go into this business. What about it like really got you, got you excited? 
I think it was the the scene of of, of like the, the kind of the montage of the whole meal when it happens and how how much it affected people. Um, you know, they had by that by the time like the meal was you know progressing, they had they'd eaten too much, they drink too much, they were you know lying down on the table. Some were singing, some were sleeping. Um, and then, you know, the omelet scene at the end, uh, mm -hmm. where, you know, there's no talking, but it's just, it literally is the power of food, um, and how, uh, how, uh, it, it corresponds, uh, to emotions is just right there in front of you. And, and I thought, uh, I want to have that kind of effect. Like, you know, I was, I was 20, I had, I was in, um, I was in, in college as a thinking I would be an English teacher, mm -hmm. um, or, or, or something wasn't sure. And, and I didn't know if, you know, at that, at that age, I, I would have hoped that something I do when I'm older would have a positive effect on someone and how many jobs are there that, that have that opportunity. Um, and there's not a lot where you can really, um, you can, you can make someone's day better or, or, you know, if you do a bad job, you can make it worse. Have you had moments in your career where you are looking around and you kind of are like, Hey, this feels a little bit like that scene in big night where everyone's happy and singing and holding hands and things like that. Um, you know, I think every time someone gives me a compliment, I, which I'm not good with, I, I think about that, but there, there was years ago when I was the chef at a vegetarian restaurant called Ubuntu, um, we had, there was a community table there that seated, you know, 20 something people. And, uh, we had a, a party and family style food for them. And we sent out these like big, like cassoulets, um, in like in, you know, ceramic, uh, razors and they all like saw it and they started clapping and hmm. then and standing up and then the rest of the restaurant i guess seeing that a bunch of people were standing up and clapping all stood up and clapped so there's like 110 people in this restaurant just standing up and clapping <laughs> um and i just like i wanted to disappear and burrow into a hole but it was it, that was a really weird moment to have um to have that happen. That's really cool. I mean, that's, I've never seen anything happen like that. Is, was it a tasting I, menu I, where I've people never, were eating the same thing? Yeah. Well, in the, for the family, for the, 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 the community, the communal table, they were, they were, okay. um, they were actually yoga students who came down from the, um, yoga studio on the second floor and we had a, a special menu for them. Um, so they, they were really, you know, jazzed about what they they had and, and you know i guess the group mentality and the, the entire restaurant was just standing up gave a standing ovation and it was just really uncomfortable and odd um <laughs> but, but also something slightly cool about it that um yeah yeah 
I, I think it sounds awesome personally. I mean, I, I'm, I, I receive compliments. Um, I like to receive compliments. So to me, that sounds great, but I can, I've never having seen that in a restaurant. I can also see how it would uh, feel a little out of place when you're not expecting it all the time. It is actually making me think of when people clap for pilots when they land the plane. It's like, yeah, you know what? We should be clapping. This is an incredible thing. This pilot has just done, but it's just, they do it all the time. Yeah. I have a, um, it's like an inside joke with with me, but like uh, when someone says like, "Oh, it was because a chef did this to me once," but um, someone will say, "Oh, check out the sauce I made." I was like, "I'm not going to commend you for doing your job." Um, <laughs> it's it's a joke, but I kind of think of that with pilots. Like, yeah, you're supposed to land the plane. Yeah, totally. I, I hear hate that. Flying. My oh, my wife hates it too. So I feel like it's it's also like. Uh, I've caught it. I've somehow caught the anxiety of flying because it's contagious, you know? Um, but yeah, thanks for doing your job, pilots, and not and, and making our flight safe. Do with that what you will. But you touched on this earlier about your uh, time cooking in the American South uh, after, after culinary school. And then you came out to California, right, to work in the Bay Area. And to me, that seems like quite a big change. Uh, what, what, A, attracted you about coming to California? And what really struck you when you got here? When I was in um, culinary school in Charleston, South Carolina, um, this was the time of the Charlie Trotter books, and uh, there was a Charlie, the Charlie Trotter veg, uh, vegetable book, and there were so many specific varietals of, of produce in there. You know, it wasn't just like a beet and goat cheese thing. It was like a ruby queen beet. It was an, so everything had like a a specific variety and. I was lucky enough to work with a great chef in Charleston um, named Mike Lotta, who has uh, two great restaurants there. Uh, one is a uh, fig that's been there for uh, over 20 years now. Um, mm-hmm. But he, he was probably most instrumental in the, in Charleston with um, the farm to table ethos. And we constantly had farmers coming by and uh, themselves and, and dropping off um, their ingredients. And I was starting to see the Ruby queen beets, the, um, uh, silver queen corn, um, all these, all these specific things. And by the end of my time there, um, I, I had, I had worked with all the, all the vegetables in that book. Um, and then I, I moved back to Atlanta for a few years. Um, but there was an issue and I believe it was 2001, uh, of Sabor that was on California specifically. The whole issue was on California and um, there was a, there was kind of an outline of a meal that was cooked by it's like Alice Waters, um, Paul Bertoli from Oliveto. Um, uh, I, I just really became enamored with, with, you know, how close all the ingredients I was using in Atlanta were a lot of them were from California, you know, especially asparagus, things like that. And I just, I just became uh, like I said, enamored of the San Francisco Bay Area food scene and how in touch with the the uh, the produce and the, and the relationships with the farmers, um, I, I decided to um, at twenty five to move there uh, to San Francisco in two thousand one. Um, I arrived two days before nine eleven, hmm. um, which is a really weird time for for any city. I just. Uh, really wanted to go where the ingredients were. I literally, you know, when I was 25 years old, thought green garlic was 
just green cloves of garlic. I, I just didn't know. I don't know. Maybe it just wasn't what I was, what I had imagined it would be. Um, mm-hmm. Or, you know, I definitely had a romantic idea of moving to San Francisco and it being a certain thing. Um, yeah. And, and maybe just, it wasn't so I, I got antsy, I guess. Totally. So how did you end up from that experience to Manresa? So I, I hopped around a little bit. I, I, I got a job. I was working at Rubicon, um, mm-hmm. which is a great restaurant. Uh, it's had some great chefs. I was there for about six months. And then I worked at uh, Charles Knob Hill for uh, Melissa Perello, who's got some great restaurants in San Francisco right now. Um, and then I got a job as the chef of a hotel in Aspen. Um, hmm. So I moved to Aspen. I was there for maybe six months. It didn't go very well. Uh, I moved back um, with uh, who's now my my ex-wife, um, but we're, we're we're still friends. She actually did the desserts for Birdie G's. Um, no, no but way. We were we were living in uh, Sunnyvale, and that month. Um, the SF magazine, um, uh, restaurant review was of Manresa, uh, mm-hmm. cause it had just opened, you know, eight months earlier, maybe six months earlier. And, uh, I was again, kind of like seeing that Savor issue of California. Um, I was like, I want to work at this restaurant. Mm-hmm. So I, um, I arranged the stage and loved it. Um, I staged a couple more times. Um, and there was a day where I couldn't get David on the phone, um, to see if I could come stage, but I just showed up anyway. And that day someone had no call, no showed, and that was their last, their last chance. Hmm. So by showing up, I got a job. Um, wow. And I, I stayed there for almost five years. So that was a um, long stint for you at that, at that point in your career. You know, I, I was at I was at Anson in Charleston for about two years while I was in school, and then I was at one restaurant, Mumbo Jumbo, in Atlanta for two and a half years. So I had like some long stints with a flurry of small of, of shorter stints in there. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think that's kind of I definitely advise against it, but I think it's sometimes important to find the right fit. Um, yeah. And to know when it's not working, but um, I knew I was—I felt really lucky to have gotten the job at Manresa, and um, I decided to go to go all in. You know, I I had become the chef of a hotel um, and realized that you know I was not the chef that that I, I want to be. That I'm nowhere near it. Um, and then if I just if I just go on from chef position to chef position, um, I'm just I'm not going to be happy. I want to I want to mm-hmm. know more things. I want to be better. Um, and I stayed at Manresa because there was uh, unless it was, you know, being the chef of, of my own restaurant, there was nowhere there was nowhere else to go. There was nowhere better. There was nowhere mm-hmm. I wanted. To, I thought. Um, I, I wanted to go. I was I was happy there. I was going to say it sounds like you 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 were learning, like you were still building skills, and you 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 were you were getting something valuable there. 
I was learning a lot. I was working, I, I was working with who are now some of the great chefs in the, in this country. Um, uh, we, when we were just cooks, um, mm -hmm. and, and I, and I could tell that the people I was around were, you know, they were better than me. And, I, and, um, I wanted to, I wanted to move like them and cook like them and, and, and kind of, um, get that choreography down. I kind of worked some high volume places. So I was a little kind of spastic. Um, mm. so I wanted to learn how to kind of slow down and speed up and, um, you know, between working for David Kinch and the other, the other cooks that were there, I, you know, it was, it was such an educational time. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask you, it's probably an impossible thing to answer, but you know, you cite David Kinch as a mentor and I'm curious, what's something that you learned in those Manresa days that sticks with you to this day? I think there's a lot. I think, you know, there's things as big as, you know, how to, how to work with a team and how to kind of, um, how to instill, uh, uh, a collaborative nature among, amongst the staff, amongst the team that, uh, is not about competing against each other. It's about everyone pushing each other to be better. Mm. Um, you know, I, had worked at places where there was a lot of hazing when, when new people started and, um, there was a little bit of that from a couple people, but, um, it, it, it was the, the way David brought you into the into the system. So you knew like how this, how the menu was working and how the ingredients were working and why, why this was this way. Um, and wanted your input wanted, um, wanted you to have ownership in your, in your station, uh, in mm -hmm. terms of ordering, um, you know, he, he taught me that, you know, there's things like menu, how to write a menu, like the actual, like menu speak, I think is what yeah. we called it about how to word things that, so it's not just this, this with this and this and this, this with this and this, it was a little bit more poetic. Um, What's an example? So you can say like, let's say on the menu, there's John Dory with leeks and potato. Mm -hmm. um, there might be a dish that says John Dory with leeks and potato. Then there might be right under it, uh, lamb, carrots, and curry, comma, strained yogurt. Like it didn't, mm -hmm. it didn't, they, it didn't all follow the same template. Yeah. Got it. So basically like making it so that it, it accurately captured the dish regardless of the template kind of. Exactly. And, and I don't know, I, I liked the inconsistent descriptions. Um, mm -hmm. It felt, it felt soulful to me still does mm -hmm. if i'm not mistaken ubuntu in napa is where you you sort of went out on your own after man race is that is that fair to say yeah that's correct that was my first uh chef job um first executive chef job and what what spurred the decision to leave man race when did you know you were ready to take on that helm <laughs> so it's 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 kind of funny and i don't know if i've really gone over like the reasons why I left the reasons I put 
in motion leaving, though it took, you know, s- several months was um, Alain Passard came and from Arpege in, in Paris, came and cooked a few nights at Manresa as a guest chef. And I did not care for the experience. Um, I don't know Alain other than, you know, working with him those few days, but um, it just wasn't a great experience. And uh, David and I got in this huge fight on the last sure. night because um, it was kind of known that Alain Passard doesn't like lamb. And at the end of the night, they all sat down for, for dinner and, you know, I was told no lamb and I, I knew that no lamb, but the server came back and said that David wants him to have the lamb. And I was, I said, are you sure? I was told no lamb. He's like, he told me to tell you he wants the lamb. And, uh, so we sent the lamb out and David was not happy. Um, where we were in the office screaming at each other, you know, I think, I think the cooks were out in the parking lot, kind of listening, trying to hear it, but, um, it was just a dumb situation, but it was, it was, uh, it was kind of the catalyst for me to be like, I think, uh, it might be time for me to move on. So that was a server misunderstanding or what, what happened there? I, I guess so. I guess it was a server misunderstanding. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, yeah. he One said, thing no lamb, I shouldn't have, I shouldn't, I, I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have sent lamb, but, um, but I did. And, um, that's how life turns out. And uh, so, okay. Just to get my, you sending out the lamb, right. And Ellen doesn't like lamb. So if he doesn't, re- if he receives the lamb, when David doesn't know that when David knows that he doesn't want the lamb, is that almost just like a sign of bad hospitality or what is like, what, why is it such a faux pas for David? I, I, I assume that maybe, you know, through his, his relationship with him, that he knew that lamb was like an affront. Uh, you know, Hmm. that's what it kind of felt like. Um, you know, so, um, it's all a little blurry, but, all I remember is, you know, just those few days, not really enjoying it. Um, and maybe yeah. that's why, um, you know, I haven't gone really the fine dining route. I've, I've, I've stayed pretty casual, um, throughout my career. Um, yeah. cause I think I got, that was like my final, like fine dining. I'm, I, I don't want to do this. Totally. So, you kind of did go a very different route with Ubuntu and Napa. As you said, it was a, was it vegetarian or vegetable forward? Really? It was vegetarian. Vegetarian. And it was attached to a yoga studio. If I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so yoga studio was on the mezzanine, beautiful space. It was a beautiful, you know, all reclaimed wood, um, you know, sustainable materials. It was, it was, uh, it was gorgeous. Um, and there was a, there was a, it had a de- its own dedicated farm on the property of the owner hmm. um, that was biodynamic and that was large enough to grow a, a really significant portion of the produce for the restaurant and grow things that you couldn't get anywhere. And I'd gotten a taste of that at Manresa because my last year and a half there, we had been working um, exclusively with a, um, a Love Apple farm, which for many years supplied the restaurant. So I, you know, I, I had become 
whereas I used to, when I was most of my time at Manresa, I was obsessed with pigs and pork and cooking pork. Um, I, I really got into the, into the, into the vegetable game and saw a lot of, while I thought I knew a lot of, a lot of different kinds of, of vegetables, um, I found out that there was, uh, a, a ton more that I didn't know mm-hmm. that I, that I was, I was seeing as it was growing. Um, and it, I, I, I like treasured those things like jewels. Yeah. This seems to be a theme that I'm picking up on is wherever there's an opportunity to learn something, it seems like you're, you're attracted to that. So I, I want to ask this because it's something that I've always been curious about, but you, you famously led Ubuntu to its Michelin star, right? And I'm always curious about how that actually works. And this may be an extremely dumb question, but when you first got to the helm of Ubuntu, is that is the Michelin star something you as a business are setting out to accomplish or is it something that just happens? No, I, I had no, I had no aspirations of a Michelin star, um, you know, moving to Napa, which is, a, which is a small town. It's, a, it's, you know, at the time, I think the population was 70,000, um, you know, and I lived two blocks from the restaurant. That was mm-hmm. my attempt at getting out of the rat race and, you know, slowing down. Uh, so yeah, I, I did not plan on a Michelin star. Um, it took, it, it took until my second year to, to get that. And even then it was a surprise because our check average was $40. You know, we were probably the least expensive Michelin starred restaurant. Um, and it, 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 I guess it didn't seem possible to me that our little vegetarian restaurant would, would, uh, would garner such, such an accolade. Um, but, uh, in 2009, we, we did receive the star and which was great, but it was, what was really special about that day is that, um, two of my best friends, um, uh, also received their first Michelin stars that day. So it was, it, it was, it was cool because had it, the three of us all got it and it wasn't like one of us didn't get it. So we had to be like, oh, I'm sorry. Like we all got yeah. it. So it was like, it was, it was pretty, it was pretty sweet. Yeah. It's not one of those situations where you have to be to the third guy. Like, ah, oh, it's not that great, man. Don't worry about it. It's, it's overrated. Right. You actually got to celebrate it together. Yeah. It, that was really special. That's cool. That's really cool. And so, you know, you talk about the 2009 Michelin star, you got other incredible accolades with Ubuntu, including right New York times named you one of the best restaurants in America at some point, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yes. Jonathan Gold wrote really nice thing or said really nice things at some point. Uh, yet in your book on vegetables, you also talk about how there was a difficulty of actually getting butts and seats to, to use a, a you know, not so glamorous uh, term. What, is, what does that feel like for you as a chef? Like to get these accolades, but then to not be getting sort of the, the, the foot traffic or the people that you, you know, you expect to get when you have those kinds of accolades. It's, it's frustrating. And I, I, I wish I could say that, 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 um, that wasn't still the case, but uh, I do still feel that way. Both of, uh, both of my restaurants, Rusty Canyon and Birdie G's 
definitely need to be busier, um, can stand to be busier, have, have the space to be busier. Um, so it, it does, it does give me kind of a, a, a love hate relationship with any kind of attention or, or accolades because mm-hmm. there's part of me that wants to just be left alone. Um, and then, but there's the part of me that knows that certain accolades should help with, uh, with business though. They, they don't always, unfortunately, I don't know. My, my wife says I'm with me and the kind of the attention. It's like, it's like, fuck you, leave me alone. Fuck you, leave me alone. Uh, pay attention to me. Fuck you. Pay attention to me. Leave me alone. Pay attention to me. <laughs> so I think there, there's, that's definitely part of it. Yeah. Well, you, you've spoken about that a little bit, sort of this um, jarring effect of suddenly being in the spotlight when you're maybe not someone who necessarily wants the spotlight. You talked about your difficulty in just like receiving compliments. So let alone like being on TV or something like that, it, it must feel pretty, pretty unnatural. How did you deal with that? Well, I, I think you'd be very hard pressed to find much of me on video. Um, mm. If you were to scour the internet, I, I did a little Vitamix commercial video um, at Ubuntu. I did, uh, I did Martha Stewart mm-hmm. uh, towards the end of my time there. And I did mind of a chef. Uh, I did a couple things on, of my, uh, mind of a chef with David Kinch when he invited me up, but that's really it. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I have not done TV is not something I, uh, have been interested in or think I would be good at. Although I will say, um, we not, not long after birdie G's opened, we, uh, they filmed an episode of top chef at birdie G's and I was the, the, the guest judge. Yeah. Um, and I thought, oh, this is going to be great. It's like the, the episode is at Birdie G's. I'm on the I'm on the judges table. It's gonna it's gonna put, get us so busy. And the episode aired in April 2020, so uh, it had zero impact on business um, uh, yeah. whatsoever. It was a good it was a good season, but yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. Like, okay, whoop de doo. Now nobody can even come to Birdie G's because everything's closed. Um, so speaking of Birdie G's, I'm curious about how you ended up joining us down here in Southern California. Basically, it was out of necessity. Um, you know, I had kind of towards the end of of the my time at Ubuntu, and then for the next couple of years, I was kind of in a you know two or three year long nervous breakdown, um, and. Uh, I moved to LA to, uh, to consult on the opening of, um, of, a um, kind of a gastro bar, uh, called Freddie Smalls, mm-hmm. um, because my, I was living in Oakland, subletting an apartment in Oakland. And, um, I came out one night and my car was gone and I thought it was stolen, but it had been, uh, impounded cause I hadn't paid the registration, mm. but I had to be at an event in Las Vegas. So I rented a car to go do the event, but I couldn't afford to get my car out of impound, which meant I also couldn't afford, and I also 
couldn't afford to return the rental car because as soon as I returned the rental car, it would charge my account. So I was kind of in this limbo where I kept racking up rental car charges yeah. and impounding fees. Um, and uh, Roy Choi, uh, who's a great guy, he introduced me to um, to the guy who was opening Freddie Smalls and got me that job. Um, and part of it was I needed advance uh, to take yeah. this job to get my to return the rental car and get my car back. So that's the romantic route I, I took to, <laughs> to move to Los Angeles. Hey, whatever got you down here, we're just grateful you're here. What's, uh, I wanted to ask something about Northern California versus Southern California, because while I think there's a bit of a changing shift and we're seeing restaurants like yours and like really pave the, that paved the way for some of this, but you know, there's obviously other restaurants too. And like Josiah Citrin's restaurants, there's also Providence, obviously Addison further South, but for a long time, I think people have considered Northern California to be the place to be for like the more mm -hmm. fine dining scene. Um, and Southern California has been looked down on a little bit. I, I'm curious, A, do you agree with that perception? But B, if, if so, why do you think that is? Well, I think, for, I think for so long, L.A. restaurants were considered too sceny. You know, uh, mm. I think everyone thought that they were all like Spago, which I love Spago. They, have, it's, they do such a great job, but... Um, there weren't as there weren't that many sh small like neighborhood chef driven restaurants, and I think I think uh, Animal had a was kind of a a, uh, a paradigm shift as far as I could tell in in LA in terms of, of more um, chef driven restaurants. Hmm. Um, I think having someone like Jonathan Gold writing about the food in your city um, really helps uh, give some credibility. Mm -hmm. um you know he 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 turned this his his spotlight on uh a lot of different kinds of food a lot of different um cultures a lot of different price points uh so i i think i think he had something to do with it i think just the the the, the diversity of of los angeles um has has over the years made this this you know beautiful melting pot where now these chef driven restaurants are not just you know what the usual was where like Cal Italian you know there's mm -hmm. there's a lot of different new, new viewpoints of, of of cuisine um, yeah and I think uh, I think the diners in L A became more more interested in in chef's voices um, and not just kind of the luxury ingredients or the luxury experience and um, and became, I guess, also interested in, in ingredients and, and organics and um, make sure that, that uh, you know, what they're putting in their bodies is, is good for them. Yeah. So we've kind of seen change amongst everything. It's been the culture for the chefs with animal and creating this like, you know, uh, culture of more chef driven cuisine here. It's the diners expecting it more. It's the food media increasing the profile. Yeah. It's been really cool to watch. And now I don't know if you'd agree, but I think LA is considered widely one of the better food cities in America to eat, to eat in. 
Oh, it for sure is. It's 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 its reputation has uh, changed, you know, pretty drastically since I've been here uh, about twelve years. Um, uh, there's there's like there's new restaurants opening up all the time, and and they're all you know each time they're they're raising the bar for uh, just great restaurants um, at all different price points. Yeah. Well, let's talk about Birdie G's a little bit uh, because I'm really, really fascinated with this restaurant. Uh, what what prompted the opening of Birdie G's? Birdie G's kind of was the culmination of, of me finally being able to open a restaurant um, and, you know, be a part of everything from the beginning, in, you know, picking out the floors and the tiles and what? where this is going to go. You know, I, I think at some point, I had been at Rustic for about five years and um, I just, I wanted to do more. I wanted to, um, wanted something else to work on. I had great staff that I wanted to be able to promote. Um, and unless that there was another project, I couldn't do it. So, um, you know, Josh Loeb, my um, business partner, we started looking at spaces probably in 2015, 2016. Mm -hmm. Um, and found a few spaces and then we found the space where we are. And I knew right then this is where it needs to be. Um, and even then it took about a year to get a lease signed and then two years for construction. So it was quite, um, you know, it, it took a while, but it was, um, yeah, an amazing kitchen. It had every, you know, had, had ovens I didn't know how to use that were, you know, smarter than me. <laughs> um, but I wanted to do kind of a, a bigger scale American restaurant um, that kind of outlined my weird path through, you know, being born in the Midwest, a Midwestern Jew who grows up in the South and then comes to California. Um, wanted to kind of capture that in, in one restaurant. And, you know, there was a little bit of retro, um, uh, aspect to it. I think it was a little bit, I think that was picked up a little bit too heavily by, by media. Um, mm -hmm. I think at the end of the day, it was a California restaurant with a lot of outside influences, but I think when we opened, there were a little bit too many outside influences. Um, and it was kind of, it was a, it was a gi ginormous menu. So we had to kind of tone it down. Um, and, you know, I think we focused it over the years, um, as kind of a California, slash Eastern European, you know, brasserie. Yeah. Um, you know, I find, you know, as a, you know, Eastern European Jew, and I think as my, you know, my parents got older, I, um, I wanted to kind of, I think everyone kind of wants to find their heritage. And, you know, my, my background is Hungarian and uh, Ukrainian, but also, you know, Polish, German, um, and there, there was a lot, a lot for me to research, uh, on foods of, of, of Eastern Europe and, um, even, you know, great pork dishes. And I, I, I found a, a lot of inspiration and, and, I, and I found that, you know, um, around the same time, there were a lot of kind of Jewish places opening and mm -hmm. they, to me, they felt more like caricatures of Jewish food. Um, like making it kind of comical of, of like play on words. And, um, it didn't really feel like serious 
don't know, like a respectful, serious uh, ode to Jewish cuisine. Hmm. It's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I was I was going to say, like, it, I I hear what you're saying with the media's characterization of Birdie Jew when it first opened, because I do remember that nostalgic um, angle really being played up. Um, and but now when you look it up, it there is a lot. Of, there are a lot of mentions of it being Eastern European forward, uh, or, or or paying homage to that in some way. I, what is a dish on the menu that you think really encapsulates like what Birdie G's style is? I think it changes, you know, because the menu there changes um, quite often. There's there there are some certain staples. I mean, I, I'll tell you what my favorite dish is is. Um, is uh lamb a la salis uh a la salis it's 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 a made-up thing it's named <laughs> after a friend of mine cameron that's his last name um but it's it's a dish that's been on the menu since day one and it's a it's a like a fatty lamb loin that's marinated in reduced beet juice and 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 rose water and garlic rosemary um it's grilled and then it's served with a per, like a Persian spice mix with lots of fenugreek and uh, Persian lime mm. with saffron yogurt and like this crispy rice with lots of dill. Um, and I think that that really encapsulates the restaurant, you know, where it's, it's personal because it's named after a friend of mine and kind of a specific meal that we had at, at this place, Rafi's in Glendale. And yeah. um, that it, it borrows something from 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 you know the, the persian cuisine but it's it also could easily be an eastern european dish on its own um, yeah that that dish will probably never change that's awesome that's really cool and uh one thing that for sure will never happen is Ellen prasard will never uh, order it right i if he does i'm not going to send it because <laughs> i'm not falling into that trap again <laughs> that's hilarious i think there are some stereotypes out there with eastern european cuisine and i'm I'm curious what you think maybe people misunderstand when they think about it. What would you say are the, the misconceptions? Think, so to me, I think some people – like if I were to think about the stereotypes of Eastern European cuisine are um, like pretty one-note meat and potatoes, uh, like uh, hard hard to elevate. I, I think when people think about it, I don't know that the word like – refined comes to their mind or anything like that right or complex sure. even um and and i don't know that that's necessarily true i wouldn't say uh i wouldn't i wouldn't say not being complex describes because i think you know uh there's there's a lot of spices and a lot of a lot of kind of slow cooking processes in, in eastern european cuisine at least as i see it um but i i do see you know it is really made for for comfort and um and really sustenance and you know i can read a, a recipe um you know like a, an old recipe that's very very bare bones and and uh you know considered peasant food and i i can i like to be able to to see how <clears throat> how to how to change that without without straying too far from the inspiration behind it without um, while making it still an, uh, an accurate, well, it might be uh, an, an, 
a refined or elevated O to that dish that it mm -hmm. is still, you can connect the dots a little bit, but mm -hmm. also like part of what 30 G's was about was um, not necessarily recreating the original dish from Eastern Europe, but I'm interested in the dish after the game of telephone that happened as <laughs> immigrants came over and started cooking with what they had here and then pass that down to the next generation. So it's like my grandmother was cooking recipes that her mother from Hungary um, made when they were in Hungary. And now they've both been in America and are, and are have adapted the recipes to what's in what's available in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania in the 50s, 60s, 70s. Um, and I hear stories from people like that a lot where this dish really only exists within this one family that this, mm -hmm. because this was the take on this. I'm, I'm interested in those dishes because they're, they're not in any books. They're, they're not in, you know, really um, chronicled by any historians. They're just family recipes that are truly family recipes and are very unique in that way. Yeah. So I, I I'm, that's what I like to, when people tell me, oh, my, you know, my, my grandmother's from Hungary. She used to make this thing or my grandfather's from here. He used to make this thing. And I'm like, okay, keep talking. Like, that's, that's, that's the kind of stuff I want to, I want to delve into. That's awesome. I mean, and any, anytime you get those special stories associated with the food too, it just gives it a whole other dimension. Well, you talked about how birdie G's could stand and rustic Canyon, you said could stand to be a little busier. But it sounds like you've got some pretty busy nights ahead with eight nights at Birdie G's. Can you talk real quick about what this series is and what, it, what inspired it? Sure. Um, so it's inspired. This is our second year. So it's, it's still in its infancy, infancy but um, it was inspired by the, uh, the 12 days of Christmas dinners at Meadowood that uh, Christopher Costow um, used to hold every year. Um, and he would invite chefs from all over the world, from locally or all, all over the world to do a, a guest chef dinner. And I participated in 2010 and 2017. Um, and then unfortunately, Meadowood burned down. Um, uh, so I, I, got, I got Chris's blessing to do eight nights at Birdie G's. And he, he was one of the guest chefs last year. Um, so... Um, you know, I wanted to do something that was, I don't know, growing up, the, the, the world is kind of during, during, you know, December, during the, you know, the holiday months, you know, pretty much my world is decorated for Christmas everywhere I go. And that's always been the case from when I was a kid um, to now, you know, go to the mall. It's, it's not decorated for Hanukkah. It's not... Um, decorated for Yom Kippur. So, you know, I wanted to, wanted to see if there was a way to have an opportunity to have something that um, could make people like me feel included and to have something to look, you know, something else to look forward to. Um, you know, I, I don't ask the chefs to cook Hanukkah food or, or even Jewish inspired food. Um, it, it, it's just about getting getting some great people together, you know, um, you know, 
last year was great. This year, there's, it's a really, really amazing lineup. A lot of, a lot of good friends. A lot of people I'm excited to cook with. Um, and just to have something that, for people like me who were, you know, during the holidays, had, you know, didn't have their holiday that they celebrate be um, kind of front and center that that it is that it is here yeah. you know but the restaurant is our uh, is decorated for Christmas and Hanukkah like like seriously decorated uh, <laughs> my GM Keely she uh, we keep upping her budget but she goes really really up and above and beyond with decorating for Hall- Halloween Christmas Hanukkah um thanksgiving um it's it's a it's a really festive uh, time of year in the restaurant and and then these dinners are um, just kind of like this two-week uh hurricane of 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 goodness um and um and fun that kind of go through the restaurant and kind of um carry carry us for a couple months like put us on a high for a few months of, of like wow that was that was a lot of fun can't wait mm-hmm. till next year so what are the uh what are the collabs this year you don't have to go through all of them but are there any that you're particularly excited for oh yeah um i mean i mean i'm excited for all of them and i'm not being coy with of that course. i i you know I, I put the i put the list together um and i, I paired up people but you know, there's um, you know anywhere from the, the kickoff night with Sean Brock, who you know I've been friends with for years, and we've never gotten to cook together. So mm-hmm. to have him coming, um, the the sixth, I'm cooking with um, three of my best friends from San Francisco: um, James Cihabut, uh, Murad Lalu, and Kim Alter. Um, so that that's a lot of fun. Uh, the thirteenth. It's David Kinch, so to be able to cook with my mentor is is really special. Um, and then we've got some, you know, great, great local um, collaborations uh, with uh, Yangban Society, oh, Yangban and Ronan doing the, I believe it's the last night. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's going to be a great pairing. I really love both those places. Um, Mei Lin and John Yao collaborating. Um, and... Ori, uh, Ari Colander and um, um, Maynard Lara from uh, Kuya Lord. That's going to be a great. It's just wow, a really awesome lineup. What a cool thing! It's like a and, wonderful uh, celebration of the Los Angeles and sounds like the culinary scene from other places as well. But really cool idea. Yeah, uh, Jung Young Park from uh, Adam X in New York um, is coming. I, I was just there. <clears throat> cooking at uh, Attaboy uh, last month uh, and they're coming to cook here for the dinner. So it's, it's, it's really, I'm pinching myself that we were able to put this uh, lineup together. It's amazing. It's uh, it's a lot of work, but, um, but the team does a a great job. I mean, they, they did a great job last year and, you know, it's, it's a, it's a big, it is is a lot of work for the, for the team to have different chefs come in um, every night for two weeks. Um, but they really roll with it and everyone's just on such like a, an adrenaline high. 
it's like uh it's like the run of a play or something you know you got to like work sure. up the adrenaline every night but it's worth it because you get that hit every night so how can people yeah. find more information or get tickets uh, they can go to our website uh com. uh all the dinners are currently sold out but um if you uh if you go on resi and go to uh, birdie g's uh, through resi you can put yourself on a wait list um hmm. And as we as we finalize the seating charts, we may have more seats to open up um, as we get closer um, and see what, what the table configurations are. So uh, if you're on the if you're on the wait list, um, Resi will uh, will ping you if you're the next one to see if you um, if, if there's a table available in the end. If so, you can grab it. Well, so I know what it, I'm doing. I all think is I'm not be... lost. All is not lost. I know what I'll be doing. I'll definitely be adding myself to a, the notify list for just about every night, it sounds like. Chef, thank you so much for, for joining us today. It's been a wonderful conversation. I've really enjoyed it. Any any last things you want to leave our listeners with? No, come come see me. I'm at, uh, at Rustic Canyon uh, most days. Um, and come to, come to Rustic Canyon, come to Birdie G's, um, and eat as much as you want and, and get a little drunk maybe. Oh, well, you, you don't have to ask me twice. Chef, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to another episode of the LA Food Podcast, dear listener. Thanks to our guest, Chef Jeremy Fox. I really appreciate him making the time for us. I really enjoyed the conversation. And I don't know about you, but I'm definitely planning to get on that. Resi Notify for eight nights at Birdie G's. And I hope to see you there, dear listener. If you like what you heard today, please go to wherever you listen to podcasts. Leave us a rating, a review, subscribe. Seriously, I'll be so grateful. Those things really help us make our way up the Spotify and the Apple podcast charts. We'll be back next week with another epic episode. But in the meantime, if you're looking for me, you can find me on Instagram, TikTok, and threads at the LA Countdown. That's T-H-E-L-A-C-O-U-N-T-D-O-W-N. You can also find me on Instagram at LA Food Pod. That's L-A-F-O-O-D-P-O-D.